everybody, welcome back to Investing with Wesley. In today's episode, I'm going to tell you exactly why it is so bad that the SOFA rate is connected to the U.S. Treasury's repo rate. Let's get into it. All right, so first, let me explain to you exactly how the United States Treasury's repo market works. And I'm going to apologize in advance because I know there's going to be some key points that I'm going to make that may confuse you or you may lose track. If that's the case, pause, rewind, take a break, or just leave a comment with your question down below. So the repo market, how does it work? The repo market works by commercial banks lending money to either hedge funds or other financial institutions. And they do this at an incredibly short time periods, usually a day to three days, but no more than 30 days. So let's just say a hedge fund really needs a large amount of capital so that they could either short a stock like we saw with GameStop or buy into another stock or what have you. Either way, this hedge fund needs to access some capital really quickly and only for a short amount of time. This is where the repo market takes place. What will happen is the hedge fund will offer collateral to the commercial banks in the form of treasury bonds. So the commercial banks will take the treasury bonds and then issue them the loan or the capital that they need. And after the day, three days, after the short time horizon, after that period is up, the hedge funds will give the commercial banks all their money back with some interest and the commercial banks will return the hedge funds or financial institutions treasury bonds. And that's basically what the United States Treasury's repo market is. It's very short term lending to either hedge funds or financial institutions. So one thing you need to keep track of as I'm explaining to you all these processes is that the golden ticket of collateral is the United States T-bills or the treasury bonds. The treasury bonds is what the hedge funds or financial institutions put up to the commercial banks for collateral. But what happens when those commercial banks run low on money themselves and need more? What they do is they give the Federal Reserve T-bills in exchange for bank reserves. So if a commercial bank needs more money and has to give up some of its treasury bonds to the Federal Reserve in exchange for more capital, we're removing the collateral from the system. And whenever you remove collateral from a system, less collateral means higher interest rates. The other way that the Federal Reserve takes treasury bills out of the system, if it's not in this process of giving money to these commercial banks, is with quantitative easing. Quantitative easing might have been a term you heard last year during the 2020 crash, where the Federal Reserve printed trillions and trillions of dollars and then flooded the United States bond market with it. And don't trick yourself. What they did did not stimulate the economy. It stimulated the United States Stock Exchange. Even to this day, there's still records amount of people out of work. There's still people being laid off. There's still businesses that are shut down. Quantitative easing did not fix or stimulate the economy, and neither did the stimulus checks. All it did was help people get by, very little I might add, and the quantitative easing and the trillions of dollars that the Federal Reserve plugged into the market only raised prices. But that's not the point. The point is how quantitative easing works. And if I explain to you how it works detail for detail, this video would be way too long. Quantitative easing is when the central banks give the government money by directly purchasing government bonds with newly generated money. These are the golden ticket treasury bonds that I talked about earlier. Either way you look at it, the Federal Reserve is collecting more and more treasury bonds, thus removing more and more collateral from this golden ticket system that this new interest rate is based off of. So let's do a quick and easy recap. We have a system, the SOFA rate that is based on the United States Treasury's repo rate. 
the repo rate will over time rise because less and less collateral will be available for circulation in that system. So let's look at a graph of the United States repo rate. Now for the most part, if you look at this graph, the federal funds rate and the repo rate stay at about the same level. But on September 17th of 2019, you could see that the repo rate skyrocketed overnight. It went up over 500 basis points, which in layman's term is over 5%. It went up over 5% overnight. And remember, this is the United States Treasury's repo market rate, the rate that the SOFA rate is attached to. So if you remember, the SOFA rate is to replace the LIBOR rate. And just like the LIBOR rate, the SOFA rate will affect things like mortgages, car loans, student loans, business loans, and derivatives. All the meanwhile, this interest rate is secured by the United States repo market, which can go up over 5% overnight. What does that exactly mean for us? I think it's safe to say that most people have fixed rate loans, whether it's your mortgage, auto loan, whatever it is. Most people have a fixed rate loan. So who cares if the SOFA rate goes up 5% overnight because I'm locked in at this 3% rate, so it don't really affect me. Where the real scary part kicks in is that the SOFA rate is attached to derivatives. Now what's a derivative? A derivative is a security with a price that is dependent upon or derived from one or more underlying assets. The derivative itself is a contract between two or more parties based upon the asset or assets. Its value is determined by the fluctuations in the underlying asset. The most common underlying assets including stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, interest rate, and market indices. And some of the more common derivatives out there are things like credit default swaps and CDOs or collateralized debt obligations. Both of these types of derivatives played a massive role in the 2008 global financial crisis. Take credit default swaps for an example. Institution one would pay institution number two to ensure that the value of an asset does not fall under a certain level. If the value does drop, the number two would pay number one. When the value of real estate plummeted in 2007 and 2008, many number one institutions were banging on the doors of number two institutions so they could get paid. This is basically what the entire movie called The Big Short was all about. But remember, when we're talking derivatives, we're not just talking mortgages. We're talking every single asset that could be backed to a derivative. These are things like stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, interest rates, and market indices. Pretty much every kind of asset one can invest in is connected one way or another to a different kind of derivative. Things like that are derivatives, and the SOFA rate is attached to those kinds of things. So. Let me wrap all this together for you as best and as easily as I can explain. If the SOFA rate that is connected to the repo market, if this interest rate will randomly skyrocket overnight and upwards of 5%, and this interest rate is connected to things like derivatives, then when the SOFA rate is finally in full force and the next repo rate skyrocket happens, when the SOFA rate skyrockets because of it, it will affect the things like derivatives. And the total derivative market is currently worth anywhere from 500 trillion to one quadrillion dollars of unrealized contracts. So when these contracts go through the roof because they're connected to the SOFA rate, 
the entire derivative market is going to implode. And remember, some of these derivatives are CDOs and credit default swaps, which we already know played a huge role in 2008. So if the SOFR rate skyrockets due to the repo rate, that is going to implode over $500 trillion worth of unrealized derivative contracts. And part of those derivative contracts are CDOs and credit default swaps. If you can piece these puzzles together and you understand everything that I'm saying, the next time the United States Treasury's repo rate skyrockets, when the SOFA rate is in full force, because we haven't fully transitioned to the SOFA rate yet, when the SOFA rate is in full force, we can see an entire derivatives market meltdown, which will send us into such giant of a crash that the GFC will be dwarfed and in my opinion even the Great Depression will be dwarfed. So although people were extremely fearful at the manipulation of the LIBOR rate because it is an unsecured rate that is just operated by a couple people on the phone, we've switched to the SOFA rate and linked it to a completely unpredictable rate. And because of this the Federal Reserve may have just inadvertently put us full throttle towards the next giant depression. I've spent the last couple minutes just completely beating into you how bad this could go. And I don't want to cut you off on just doom and gloom. Let me give you some tips on how I think we could weather the storm when this inevitable crash comes. When this crash comes, pretty much every equity and bond and derivative is going to implode because all the worth is derived from these things. And when the stock market and the economy come crashing down, all the value in the market and everywhere else will go down as well, including real estate. However, there's one section of investing that does well when the rest of the markets tumble. And these are things like commodities. And commodities are gold, silver, crude oil, and even certain cryptocurrencies are considered commodities. So if you're fearful that this crash is going to come sooner rather than later, then maybe do your research on certain commodities and see which ones are suitable for yourself and fit your risk profile to invest in. Because commodities have inherent value, when the rest of the market goes down, gold will still be valuable. You could still trade gold. Same with crude oil and even certain cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin because it is rare and has inherent value. Now, me, myself, I'm not scared this is going to happen right away. I think we'll see this crash come anywhere from 8 to 10 years from now. But with everything, no one can predict the future, and this is all just guesswork. I hope you got value from this video, and I hope I didn't scare you too much. If you did get value, please remember to like and subscribe because it really helps the YouTube algorithm in getting this channel out there so I could help warn and educate more people. Until our next episode, have a good one.